0: Father, thank You for this time this morning. Uh, Lord, we ask that You'd speak to our hearts. God, I pray that You'd help us uh, to release any of the barriers and bondages, Father, that have come into our life in the past, and that we would be free to receive from Your Word and to hear You as You speak. So, Lord, I pray that You would open up our hearts and that, God, we would, this morning, prepare our hearts to hear from You. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Talk about a hot button. This passage is a hot button. uh, But we're going to go ahead and jump right into it, even though some of you... If I begin to read this passage, some of you would just get angry immediately. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I just know it. And, and if I were just to sit up here and to read verse 25, 22, some of you just automatically just get all tense. Most of you would be women, by the way. You just do that part, and you just get all tense and all upset. It just makes me mad when I read that passage. We're going to read it anyway. Uh, I love uh, I, I love John Maxwell and uh, some of the stories he tells, but he, he tells about the time that He uh, put out an article in his church before he did a marriage series, and it it was The Ideal Wife under the subtitle, What Every Man Expects. This is what every man thinks when he gets married, and this is what he has this expectation for. Always that his wife would always be beautiful and cheerful. Uh, She could have married a movie star, but she only wanted me. Uh, She has beauty that won't run in a rainstorm. She's never sick. The only allergy she has is to jewelry or fur coats. She insists that moving furniture by herself is good for her figure. She's an expert in cooking, cleaning the house, fixing appliances, and keeping quiet. Her favorite hobbies are mowing the lawn and shoveling snow. Her favorite expression is, what can I do for you now, honey? And she wants you to go out with your buddy so she can stay home and get caught up on the laundry. But then there's a subtitle, What Every Man Gets. And it goes like this. She speaks... 140 words a minute with occasional gust of 180. Where there's smoke, there's cooking. And she lets you know that you only have two faults. It's what you say and what you do. <clears throat> so many times that's our perspective on marriage, isn't it? Well, I, I want us to read Ephesians chapter 5. As I said, this is certainly a hot-button passage as much as any in the church today. And uh, I, I want you to just think for just a second. And I want you to at least consider that you might have some biases in your life. Okay? Let's just at least have the consideration and be open that we might be biased in some areas. For example, some of us as men try as though we may are sometimes chauvinistic. It's a bias. Maybe your father was that way. We never called it that. No one ever says, I'm a chauvinist. Okay, nobody ever thinks that they are, but sometimes we are. And when we use the Bible as a weapon against women, that's being chauvinistic. When we take the Scriptures and manipulate it for our self-interest, that's certainly being chauvinistic. When we think it always has to be our way and that we're always right, that's being chauvinistic. On the other hand, sometimes... And just this is not a good word for it, but I'm just going to call it ultra-femininity, okay? I'm an ultra-feminist, where I always think everything's against me, okay? That, you know what? That's against me. I've got to protect myself. And when the Bible says stuff like that, it makes me mad. I mean, it's that spirit right there that just kind of comes out. There's also, to, if I can say this, if you'll permit me to say this, and you're welcome to talk to me after the service and disagree with me, uh, but sometimes we let our religion, i.e. denomination... Uh, give us a bias. We were maybe raised Catholic or Southern Baptist or Church of Christ or whatever it was that we were raised, and we one time heard a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or an Uncle Joe Bob or someone say, women have to do whatever the man says, and quoted some verse completely out of context, and now that's our bias, and we're going with it, man. I remember somebody somewhere, somehow, told me, Even though I don't know what their name and I had no respect for them in any other area of their life, but they said that and I'm holding on to it. And that's the way I read the Scripture, man. Okay? So I want us to see for just a moment if we can just... Left the veil of what we think And let's just concentrate on what Jesus or Paul Through the Spirit of Christ is really communicating to us today Now let's start with understanding the purpose of marriage if we would There are really three purposes of marriage as I see it Uh, The first one is almost universal That pretty much whether you are a believer in Christ Whether you had a faith background or not You would pretty much say this is the purpose of marriage Starting with number one, functional The functional purpose. What is the functional purpose? Well, to begin with, companionship. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through Genesis 2, 25. We see these three. Number one, companionship. All right. Number two, nobody would really argue with that one very much. Number two, procreation that we might reproduce. And number three, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, for the purpose of sexual gratification. Those are the functional purposes of marriage. Now we want to go to the spiritual purpose of marriage, not that those are completely unspiritual by any means, okay? They, they are spiritual in nature, but we want to go to the two aspects that if you were not a believer, if you did not know the Word of God, you probably certainly would not come up with these or even say in any manner that they're part of marriage, but they are very much, I believe, the biggest aspect of marriage as God's Word speaks to us. The first one is this. It's marriage, if I can use this terminology for just a moment, as a sacrament. Now, if you were raised in a liturgical uh, denomination or religious group such as Catholicism or you were Anglican or Lutheran or whatever, then you're very familiar with the term sacrament. Now, for the rest of you, let me kind of interpret uh, as a Protestant. (laughs) I'm talking about a sacrament here. And what I mean by that is that it is a physical reality of an invisible truth or not a visible truth. Reality of okay, truth, okay? So, in other words, when we look at baptism or communion, we have a physical representation that represents a spiritual mystery or a spiritual connection to Christ, okay? It's a picture of that. And so it's a picture, and we'll see in this text and in other texts in Scripture, that the institution of marriage is meant to be a physical representation of a spiritual truth. We talked about covenants last week. Uh, John Piper says it like this. John Piper says the main meaning for marriage is to display the covenant keeping love between Christ and the church. In other words, Piper says marriage was designed by God most deeply and most importantly to be a parable or drama of the way Christ loves his church and the way the church loves and follows Christ. So here on earth, marriage as an institution is a picture of the way that Christ loves the church and the, lo- the, the church is to love Christ, okay? So we see that as a sacramental view of marriage, all right? So we see the functional or the uh, practical, even if you want to call it the functional, the sacramental, and then the third one, which I believe is most important personally, is that marriage is meant for transformation or even you can use the word sanctification. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, marriage is meant not to make you happy as much as it is to make you holy, to make you more like the image of Christ Jesus. And we're going to see that in this passage as, as well. So with that understanding, recognizing that it's not just simply functional in nature, but that it's sacramental and that it is to be transformational or even sanctificational. I just made that word up, by the way. Uh, with that understanding, let's approach our text today as we look at the aspect of marriage here. Now, understand histo- the historical background that's going before we read this text. Uh, women have, ha- and met up to this point, they've had no rights whatsoever. They certainly, to vote was unheard of, for a husband to even ask his wife what she thought was unheard of. And now Paul has come in with the teachings of Christ, and in Galatians chapter 3 we see that he says, That when God looks at us, He doesn't see us as male or female, Jew or Greek. He doesn't see us as slave or master. He sees us equally in His eyes. So now this newfound freedom has come upon them to people who didn't have any rights. Not only did they not have any rights, this is how far it would go in the Greek culture and even in Judaism that if a man wanted to bring another woman into the house as a concubine, the wife had nothing to say about it. If he wanted to give his 15 or 16-year-old daughter, if he wanted to sell her off as a servant, the wife really didn't have a voice. She didn't have any legal rights. So that is the context that we're looking here. And now Paul has been teaching that women have equality in the essence of who they are, that God sees them and values them, and they have a voice, and that they are real and equal to men in their value. So with that understanding, this is revolutionary. Okay, You talk about rights that have come on the scene. It's, it's tremendous what Christianity is doing for the woman here. Now, let's go back and let's take a few verses back before we get into our text and understand what Paul is doing. He's given a picture of the spiritual life or the spirit-filled life as sometimes we call it. And he's going to give you an example of what that looks like. He's going to say, this is what the spirit-filled life looks like, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 5. He starts off, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days of are evil. So the first thing that we see about the spirit-filled life, that we make the most of our opportunities and our time. We make the most of our time and opportunities in verse 16. Number 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand that what the Lord's will is. Second fact of a spirit-filled life, that we seek To know and understand the will of God. We seek to know and understand the will of God. Continuing here in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Number three for a Spirit-filled life or a Spirit-controlled life is this. Is that we are not controlled by any substance, but by the Spirit of God Himself. Continue in verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the heart of the Lord. Spirit-filled life worships. It praises God. It brings Him worship and encourages others that we see right here. And Then in verse 20. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit-controlled life and the Spirit-filled life is one that encourages and gives thanks to God. It is a spirit of gratefulness. It is an attitude of thanksgiving. And then we come to the next part. Submit to one another out of the reverence of Christ. Submit to one another out of the reverence of Christ. So the spirit filled life, the spirit controlled life, submits to. To one another. Now, let's take a moment and look at the word submit, because isn't that the one? Uh, that's one of the hot button words right there. The Greek word is this. It's hypotasso, hypotasso, and it means to come in order, to come in line. Uh, and so as we look at this word, hypotasso, we're going to see uh, how it is used here. But first of all, we see in the spirit filled life that we are to come in line and in harmony and in, in, a, in leadership and submit in servitude to one another. All right? We see that right now. The text starts off right there, the word hypotasso. matter of fact, ironically, the word hypotasso that we get used for submit right here is found in verse 21, but it's actually not even in the original text in verse 22 in the Greek language. Now, it is inferred there, and it certainly should be there, but it would be wrong for us to use it in that text, to just pull that text out and use it. Okay, when the word is not even listed there. It's listed in verse 21. It's in preceding verses as well. So, certainly should be there. But this is a perfect case or perfect example of pulling a verse out and using it as a weapon and taking it out of context. Now, with that understanding, let's continue. We've already talked about the Spirit-filled life and how we are to submit to one another. We already have a picture of what that looks like. Then we come about in verse 22. Wives hapataso or submit... To your husbands as to the Lord. Now, what he's not doing is saying, Your husband's just like the Lord. No, he's saying, Give respect and honor just as you give to the Lord. For the husband is the uh, Kepaleo, okay? The Kepaleo right here is, in the Greek means this, it means the source or the origin or the leader. It can be interpreted any of those three ways. It means source or origin or leader. So, uh, We are to hapitaso for the source, the origin, or the leader uh, of the wife as Christ is head of the church. So do you understand what he's saying right there? He's saying your husband is responsible. When God looks at us as a family unit, he looks at the husband as the responsible party. For that family he looks and says this is the one who I ultimately hold responsible he is the head he is the source he is the one of origin of which, which I look so the responsibility falls upon the husband what this is not saying as we will continue in is is not saying that he is the dictator he's the one that gets to decide everything that happens in that household it's not what he's communicating here. There's a whole different spirit being communicated. He is to take the lead. He is to be the spiritual foundation. And let's, let's just for a second pause here and say, hey, I recognize that that's not always the case. Some of you are here today and maybe your husbands aren't even here or your husbands could care less if you only know what it takes to even get him to sit here. I, I, I get that, okay? But we're talking about in God's ideas, he looks at the family. This is what he desires, We continue here, and he says, He is to serve the body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also should the wives submit to their husband in everything. In everything? What? Are you kidding me? Do you know who I'm married to? Well, let's stop again, and let's go back, and let's talk about what hypotasso means. To respect, to honor, to recognize... To give credibility to the source of the origin, just as Christ did to, to, does to the Father, just as the church does to Christ. It, let me give you a, a better understanding so that we can understand it here in our context. I'm the pastor here, and when you come to church, hopefully you give me a little respect and honor, okay? You don't, uh, you don't stand up and scream or yell obscenities to me or whatever it is that when I read passages like this that you don't like. You show a little respect and a little honor. But if I were to say, here's what I'd like all of you to do. Here's my bank account number. I'd like you to put all your money in my bank account, okay? You wouldn't go, well, that's the pastor. He said it. The Bible said it. I'm supposed to do whatever he says. You wouldn't do that, okay? And, and you shouldn't do that. You would want honor respect, but the way you would handle it, you'd go, you know, something's not quite right with that guy right there, and I think we want to appeal to other spiritual authority. And so you would talk to the elders as you should, okay? But you would handle it in a, in a respectful and an honorable way. That's, that's, and there's the picture. It isn't that the man gets to do everything he wants, and the woman has to just follow along with it. Okay we never see the demand we never see the dictatorship image given that's the antithesis of what's being described because now we're going to see what the husband's supposed to do so let's continue on here husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her now that word right there agapē is the word we get agape for which if you go to 1 Corinthians 13 you'll see exactly uh, the type of love that he's talking about. What we're talking about a sacrificial, all-encompassing love. In other words, there is a greater mandate put upon the husband. There is more responsibility and more that he is supposed to give. So we see that right here. He says, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, remember when we talked about the purpose of marriage? We talked about how we see marriage as a sacramental and we see marriage as transformational. Sacramental meant there was a picture being described. Now, with that understanding, it will make this text look a little, uh, bring more understanding. If I read this separate from that understanding, then it doesn't make as much sense. Now, with that image, that it's to be a picture of the way Christ loves a church, let's continue here. He said, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, loves, excuse me, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of the body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is from Genesis. This is a profound mystery. We see that word mystery coming about. For the picture, remember we talked about a sacrament, uh, and an invisible reality, but here's a physical manifestation of an invisible reality. We continue here. I'm not talking about Christ in the church, excuse me, I am talking about Christ in the church. Verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife wife as he loves himself. And then what does this chapter right here conclude itself? Catch this part right here. And the wife must what? Respect her husband. We know that that is a necessity in the spirit-filled life. And it also is God-honoring. This is the way He set things up. I would like to use this word called complementarianism. What does complementarianism mean? Well, it's, it's really not a word you'll find in the dictionary. It's not even necessarily a word you might even find in theology. But it means that we all have the same value, but we have different responsibilities. And that's what complementarianism is. And we see that here as we see this text, as we see how... Paul, through the teachings of the Spirit, radically frees women to have honor and respect. That now those who had no choice before are given the opportunity to have a choice and to make a choice. And he says "And when you make that choice, do it with honor and respect. You no longer have to. You are now getting the opportunity to do it out of your freedom. And that's stronger than any mandate would ever be. So how does that happen practically? How does how does a husband sacrificially love his wife? Well, first of all, let me just say this. Um, I am not a marriage expert, nor am I the son of a marriage expert. Okay? And not only that, I fall you could, my wife's here this morning. You could ask her. I mean you know, some of you may think, "Golly, I wish I had a husband like that." No, you know, you don't. The, the real truth of it is, you, you would say, "No, that's that. That would not be something you would want to pray for yourself." Okay, uh, what you want to be is, you want a husband like Jesus, all right? And I'm just struggling with everybody else. I'm a fellow struggler on the road, and so. Uh, we can stand up here and give testimonies of mistakes, and hopefully you would learn from some of those. But we don't have time for me to share all my mistakes, even from the last couple of weeks. And my wife always has more than I can remember. And so, I mean, there are, there are plenty of things that I do wrong. So I want to say, as I preach this message, I am pointing the finger, three of them at me, okay? So it may look like i got the gun at you. i got three more pointed back at me. All right, well, that understanding, a husband's sacrificial love is this. First of all, it's his unconditional love for his wife, that he loves her unconditionally, just as Christ loves the church. Number two, that Christ or excuse me, number two, that we pray for our wives, that we pray for our wives and sometimes they hear us pray their name and pray for them. Number three, that we listen. Isn't that the one we all struggle with, guys, that we listen to our wives? Number four, that we are faithful to our wives, not just faithful in chastity, but faithful with our eyes, faithful with where we spend our time. And lastly, that we consider her dreams and her desires. What are her dreams? It's not just about what I want, or what I want in life. But what is her voice saying? What does she desire? Submission by a wife, let me tell you this, is not that... Here's what submission is not, women. It doesn't mean that you're passive and silent. And he says stuff, I just never say anything. Trying to be godly. <laughs> that's not That's not submission. I always agree. Whatever he says, you always agree with it. That's right. Amen. Amen. Whatever he says, that's good. Whatever he said, that's what I think. That's good. I always agree with whatever he says. Beat the kids. I, I agree with that. You don't do that. That's not submission, okay? Submission is also not being ignorant. I don't know. I have no idea what he's doing. I don't even want to know what he's doing. I'm just trying to be a good wife, so I don't want to have any idea what's going on with him. That. That's not submission either. Let me tell you what else submission is not. It, it, it's not nagging. Okay? Nagging is this. It's when you're not getting exactly what you want and you just continue to go, Would you get, come on, you never do this, or would you do this, would you do that, and I can't ever get you to do this and that, and it seems like you're always, you're, you always have something else to do, you always do this, you never do this. That's called nagging. That's not submission. <laughs> that's like the antithesis, that's the opposite of what Paul is teaching here. It's also not complaining. What's the difference between nagging and complaining? Nagging's just trying to get them to start. Complaining is, after they've done it, it's never right. You know, you never do this right. Every time you clean this, this is not right. Every time you clean the kids, it's not right. clean the car, it's not right. You never do it right. It seems like you just can't ever get it right. That's called complaining. Okay, there's what submission is not. It's not nagging. It's not complaining. It's not being passive. It's not always agreeing. And it's not simply being ignorant. So we have a picture of what it's not. Okay so let's talk about what it is it's really very simple submission to your husband is this it's being honoring of him it's listening considering and honoring him and it's thinking how if you disagree how can i respectfully communicate to him what i think or what i believe that's really it it's really that simple it's being honoring and respectful It's not nagging. It's not complaining. It's not just going, I do whatever you say. It's being respectful when you communicate. It's honoring him as your husband. Okay. so now we have that. Let's talk about husbands for just one second. Uh, And we talked about that. But what husbands and wives both can do. How how can we do this in the days ahead? Well, first of all, wives. Do this by listening to your husband's counsel. He has been ordered by God through the Scriptures to be one of discernment. He's supposed to exercise discernment, and if he's not doing that, then you respectfully help him to be more discerning, okay? So it's not about final decision-making as much as leading in discernment. Also, give your husbands the right to give you constructive criticism, okay? We can't dish it out if we can't take it. And we do that in a healthy way. Again, I'm a sinner. Just want to remind you. Allows her husband to exercise leadership, particularly in areas that he has experience in. Allow your husband to exercise leadership. Don't beat him down. Don't always try to correct him or or take it back. All right, let's do a submission exercise here. Here's your submission exercise for the week. First of all, we have these books right here. I'd encourage you to just take one and begin to read that together uh, each night. It's very, very brief. It's specifically for marriage. Also, we have some forms back there, 90 days to an intentional marriage, and just a little brief thing that you can sign so that your husband knows what to expect and, and your wife knows what to expect from you. Just take it and look at it. You may throw it in the trash, but would you at least take it and look at it and, and consider it? I think those would be great tools, but here's some exercise for you. First of all, husbands, this week I want you to share a way that your wife has loved you, that you've noticed that she loves you. It may be that she has cooked her meal, she's cleaned for you, she's told you she loved you. Whatever she's done, think of a way that she has expressed love for you, vice versa. Wives, I want you to think of a way that you have loved your husbands. If you want to, you can even write this down if that makes you feel better, if that helps you. But what is a way that... Your wife, your husband has shown love for you by providing, uh, by an encouraging word, by taking care of something, whatever. Uh, husbands, share an experience uh, of the way that you experienced God this week. Maybe it was something that you prayed about. Maybe it was something you read in Scripture. Maybe it was something in the sermon. But just share with them, hey, here's a way that I felt like I heard from God or I experienced God this week. And then wives do the same thing. Uh, and then here's another one. Husbands, share a need in your life, something that uh, your wife could pray for you in, that you want to improve in an area. And, and wives, don't you don't you tell him what that needs to be? Okay, let him tell you. That's the whole submission thing. Let him tell you, here's a need that I have, or here's a, a, a way that I want to improve, and then pray for him. You may not do it out loud right then, but but say, I'm going to pray for you about that. Same thing for the wife. Wives, share an area that you want to improve in and then allow the husband to pray for you. Uh, Those are just some very simplistic things that we can do. And uh, again, we want to help you with some tools. Uh, Many of you have been in the marriage class next week, the last week for that. But I encourage you to take one of these devotionals with you and, and begin that process of intentional marriage. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning for those who are here who maybe this is a difficult time or a a difficult sermon to hear. I pray, God, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I pray also this morning, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you, that today, Lord, you draw them by the power of your Spirit to recognize their sin, their need for forgiveness, and their forgiveness that's applied to them through the cross and the grace that you've given. Lord, I thank you for how good you are, and we thank you for all that you do. In your name I pray, amen.